Great, huh? How many of you love that movie? Don't we all love that movie? You know, I always wondered with that movie, did they just say, hey, we get one take. We've set up this great scene here in this moment, and we're going to destroy it. So we get one take. we got to get it right the very first time. But uh, hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And uh, that, that is one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite Christmas movies. And uh, as we look and as we talk about conflict uh, today and how the light of Jesus uh, can move us from conflict to, ple- uh, to peace, uh, here's hoping that nothing like what we just witnessed pops up at any of your holiday family gatherings uh, over the course of the next uh, few days. But uh, the truth is uh, that this time of the year, you know, can be a time of the year that's filled with joy and love and, and peace and good feelings. Uh, but we also know that it can be like this petri dish of conflict too. Um, you know, I mean, think about all of the holiday parties that you've been to so far, maybe some that you've got coming up this week, and whether those be parties uh, with your work or your office, uh, your dorm, or with your school, or just the family gatherings. I mean, what do we do? I mean, if you think about all those gatherings, I mean, we, we get together and we spend extra time with people, maybe people that we wouldn't normally uh, choose or want to spend extra time with, uh, even if we do share the same DNA, and uh, wherever we expect to encounter people, uh, to be with others, well, we know that we have the potential uh, for conflict. And so even at a time like Christmas, the Lord uh, can use this season. He can use these gatherings and these encounters uh, to humble us, you know, as we get ready to see people that, well, if you're brutally honest, maybe you would say you really don't want to see. And I haven't even mentioned, you know, some of the conflicts that uh, maybe are taking place right now, even under your own roof. I mean, maybe, maybe for you and your home and your family, maybe it's a child uh, that is making some tough choices and you're just not really sure how to deal with them or you don't agree with those choices. Uh, right now. I mean, maybe it's a stepson or a stepdaughter, and you and your spouse are just trying to get on the same page uh, in agreeing how to parent them. Maybe the conflict uh, is with your spouse. I mean, the two of you might be sharing a bed, but uh, the reality is that you're a million miles apart uh, from one another right now. Uh, Maybe the conflict is financial. And so you've got some tough decisions to make as you get through these next few weeks and into the new year uh, of what you're going to do next. Maybe the, maybe the conflict for you today uh, centers around the five different places you're going to try and visit on Christmas Day in order to try and keep everybody happy. Maybe the conflict for you and your family is sickness right now. Uh, we had uh, that sickness visit uh, one of our kids this past week. We commonly refer to them as the unwanted Christmas guests of Uncle Puke and Aunt Rhea that are just not welcome in our home are not welcome at any time, uh, but we're trying to get by this, you know, so that we can, we can enjoy some time this week uh, with our families. Uh, maybe the conflict uh, for you right now is, is a spiritual conflict. Um, you're trying to turn your life around. Uh, and find your way back to God. But you know at Christmas you're going to be with some people that are going to ridicule you and uh, ridicule you and give you a tough time and uh, maybe try and drag you back into some directions that you just don't really want to go anymore. I, I don't know what conflicts you're facing this morning, but what I do know is this, that we all have them. Uh, we've all got these different conflicts and these struggles uh, in our lives. Well, today we're in part three of a series that we've titled, The Light Has Dawned. Uh, it comes right out of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 2. It's on the side screens here. Why don't we read it all together? Let's read it out loud if you'll follow along with me. We read, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light 
has dawned. Now, Scott, God spoke these words through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah 700 years uh, before Jesus was born. Now, what's the big idea of these words? Well, God announces through the prophet Isaiah that help is on the way. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, help, hang in there. Help is on the way. And the light Isaiah is talking about here is Jesus. And as Christians, we know and we believe that the light has come to earth in Jesus Christ, that he was born on Christmas and that he came to this earth uh, to drive the darkness away, uh, that God sent hope and uh, he sent joy and he sent peace to the world through Jesus Christ. And, and not only does God want you and I to experience uh, the power of that light in our lives, but what he wants to do is he wants to reflect that light uh, through us. Uh, as we encounter others, as we spend time uh, with other people, we reflect that light uh, so that others might see that light too. And so uh, we've talked uh, so far these past couple of weeks about how Jesus, the light of Jesus, uh, can turn our anxiety to hope. And last week we talked about how the light of Jesus uh, can turn our sorrow into joy. And today we want to look at how the light of Jesus uh, can help us move from a place of conflict uh, to a place of peace and to really enjoy uh, and encounter and experience that peace uh, in our lives so that others might experience it too. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we've got some Bibles around the room on the floor. You're welcome to grab one of those and, and follow along with us, Luke 2. Uh, if you're here as a guest today or if you've been coming for a while, maybe you don't have a Bible uh, as your own, these are always gifts. Uh, so feel free to take one of those with you today. Uh, we'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, but Luke chapter 2, right there in the New Testament. And uh, just to kind of set this up first, you know, while most of our Christmas cards cards, uh, paint a picture of, of a peaceful uh, Christmas scene uh, in first century Israel. The truth is that the first Christmas was anything but peaceful. And that means that while our Christmas carols and our Christmas cards tend to romanticize uh, the Christmas story, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, what does the Christmas carol Silent Night say? We sing, all is calm and, and all is bright. But the truth is uh, that it, it wasn't all calm and bright uh, that first century Israel. I mean, this little country uh, where Jesus was born and raised is called Israel. And at one time, uh, Israel had been a nation all its own, but they were conquered by the Babylonians, who were eventually conquered by the Persians, who were then defeated by the Romans. And as we mentioned last week, uh, the Roman Empire was this ruthless uh, military machine, and Rome put Herod the Great uh, in charge of leading Israel. But the only problem with Herod the Great was that he was anything but uh, great. I mean, he was a madman. I mean, and this guy was, was paranoid and uh, his paranoia caused him to execute members of his own family. I was reading that he had given orders that on the day he died, he wanted there to be a, a massacre of people in his own country, uh, knowing that the people of Israel wouldn't mourn him, but if they were mourning this massacre, at least there would be mourning in the land uh, when he died. I mean, this is the same guy who was so threatened by the idea of another king being born and eventually taking the throne from him that he decreed that every newborn baby boy in Israel be killed uh, so that his future reign wouldn't be jeopardized, jeopardized by anyone. He was anything but great. And so keep this in mind as we take into account these words in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. You're probably familiar with it or you've heard this story before, but let's take it into account. Again, we read, the historian Luke writes, in those days, 
Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. Now, this is going to include this little country uh, of Israel. Uh, verse 2, this was the first census that was taken place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Uh, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, I don't know uh, how about you, but um, I remember uh, when our first uh, child was born, I remember when Joel was born. Uh, he's 11 years old now, and we had been at the doctor earlier that day, and the doctor said, hey, I think there's a pretty good chance you're going to have a baby in the next day or two. And so uh, 4 or 5 o'clock that afternoon rolled around. I had a softball game that night, and uh, I, I knew better. I had learned some lessons so far in this first few years of marriage that that was definitely not the priority at the moment, but my wife remembered, and so around 5 o'clock, she said to me, are you going to your softball game tonight? And I was well, yeah, I guess I kind of forgot about it. I didn't really forget about it, but, um, you know, she's like, well... What I had to do was ask, now, is this a test? Like, is this one of those tests where, like, you want me to stay home, but you're really testing me with it? Because I don't want to play games right now. Let's just, just be honest. No, I just, just go to your game. I mean, everything's going to be fine. And she had started having some contractions, but she's like, hey, I'm going to stay home as long as I can. You're not going to be that far away. You just go play your game. So I went off to the game, and um, every inning I called her. What, what I found is that after every inning that I called her, the contractions were starting to progress a little bit. And so even by the third third inning. It's like, well, do you want me to just come home? No, you know, I, you'll be done soon. And so just finish it. So fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth inning rolls around. Thankfully, we got beat by the 10 run rule because I had just called her and said, you got to get home. And uh, so these contractions are picking up. So we raced home and I raced into the house. And thankfully, and I'm not exaggerating, we lived like a quarter of a mile from the hospital. But that journey from our driveway to the hospital and over all those speed bumps uh, seemed like an eternity, really, for, for Jenny too. I mean, just of getting there and <laughs> and getting her through. And so we got to the hospital. He, the baby wasn't born for like another five hours. I mean, we had plenty uh, of time, but uh, there was some excitement, uh, if you would, over the uh, birth of our first son. And so, you know, when we look at this story, I mean, for Mary and Joseph, let's not overlook the fact that they're not going to Uncle Bob and Aunt Linda's for Christmas, all right? I mean, they are on their way, likely by something, you know, like a donkey. They're, they're on their way to Bethlehem for a census. Mary is very pregnant, and why a census? Well, a census means taxes. I mean, that's what's happening here. I mean, the, the emperor of the time, Caesar Augustus, wanted to make sure that he was getting everything that was owed to him. And if you remember from last week, uh, the citizens of Israel were taxed uh, at a grueling rate of up to something like 90%. And so, you know, Rome called all of the citizens back to their hometowns uh, to register. And what happened if you didn't go? I mean, what happened if you didn't do something like pay your taxes? Well, they'd just burn your house down. Or the Roman soldiers would come along and they'd take your kids and they'd sell them into slavery or, or they'd kill them. And, and so the people of Israel, Mary and Joseph, I mean, they've got these high taxes, uh, these threats on their life and everything that this Roman culture had brought to Israel. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, it was a time of conflict and real oppression for the people. And that's what makes... That's what makes this story so great. And the baby is born, and an angel of the Lord uh, appears to a group of shepherds in their fields just outside of the town of Bethlehem. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 8. Uh, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, why, why is this good news that will cause great joy for all people? Well, it's because what this Savior, the light of the world, brings. I mean, the King James Version says it like this. It says that he will, that our Savior, the light of the world, will bring light, will, that will bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And it, that really was good news. I mean, if you're from Israel, and, and uh, because if, if there's anything that Israel needed at this point in history, it was peace. I mean, 500 years of, uh, of foreign rule and, and brutal oppression, and add to that these back-breaking taxes. I mean, you know what they're thinking. All right, the Messiah has come. We'll get peace through strength. We'll get peace through force. I mean, they were ready for this Messiah. They, they had heard all of the stories. They had seen the prophecies that this Messiah would come. I mean, just like Isaiah had predicted, they believed this light, that this Savior, the Messiah, would come and that he would take the throne of Israel and that he would take it with military force. But that's not what happened. And to understand why, it's important that we understand that God's idea, what God's idea of peace is really is. Write this down if uh, you're taking notes. It's in your note card. You know, we see that peace uh, is shalom. The, the word shalom, this word here that's translated as peace is actually the Hebrew word shalom. Now, we read it as peace, but that's not the fullest meaning of the word. See, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict, or uh, we think of the absence of anger, or the lack of stress, or, or noise, or chaos. I mean, we want to have peace in our lives. We want to see peace in our homes. But shalom isn't limited to the absence of conflict or noise. A better definition is it's the presence of wholeness that God promises that He offers the presence of wholeness in Jesus. And so that means that it's not just the difference between fighting and truce. It's not the difference between unity or decisive, divisiveness. It's the difference between brokenness and wholeness. And to give you a picture of this, um, I want to read a short excerpt uh, from Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. And in it, he uses the great Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, as an example uh, of shalom. He writes it like this, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey and his family run a savings and loan company in the small town of Bedford Falls, New York. Over the years, they had helped numerous families get mortgages at reasonable rates and had been patient when loans couldn't be repaid. As the CEO of his company, George's bottom line was not maximum profits, but the flourishing of his community and customers. George, of course, did not get rich with this kind of approach, but at one point in the movie, when he is suicidal... He is given a vision of what Bedford Falls would have looked like if, as he wished at that moment, he had never been born. And what he sees is a community consisting of some wealthy families surrounded by an impoverished and dysfunctional town. Instead of kind neighbors, there are brutal and self-interested parties in constant conflict with one another. Keller writes, without George Bailey's efforts, the town had lost its social shalom. 
You know, back when God first created everything, there was shalom. The Bible presents this idea of shalom. That it just means that all was as, as it was designed to be between God and man, between man and woman, between the Creator uh, and His creation. I mean, all the pieces fit together as they were supposed to fit together in all of its beauty and peace and wholeness. But we know that two chapters into the Bible, shalom is obliterated. I mean, with one bad choice, sin enters the scene and God's creation is broken. And so all the rest of Scripture is about this time between this brokenness entering the earth and the day when all things will be renewed and restored. We're living in that in-between time right now. And so, you know, all the rest of the Old Testament, it just points eagerly to this awaited Savior who would come and restore all things and bring wholeness once again uh, to God's creation. And so when the angels show up, you know, to these fields and to these shepherds and announce that Christ the Savior has been born, they're announcing the best news possible. I mean, they've proclaimed He's here. Like the one God promised, the one who, who has come, the one that you have been waiting uh, to arrive, the one who comes to repair what is broken, the one who comes to make all things new. He is here. He is born in Bethlehem. He is the one who will bring shalom again. He will bring peace to the earth. And, and it's not just the angels who announce this. I mean, if you fast forward 30 years into the life of Jesus, I mean, Jesus declares this about himself in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19, when he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, uh, these words originally from the Old Testament book of Isaiah are a great description of true shalom. And what does Jesus do for us? He says, I'm here to bring good news to the poor. He says, I'm, I'm here to, to bring freedom to the captives, to give sight to the blind and to, to free the oppressed. See, Jesus came to the world. He came to reestablish shalom, to begin this process of making things right in this world once again. Now, I know that somebody's probably thinking to themselves, okay, that's nice and all, but what does that have to do with Thursday? Or what does that have to do with this week for me? Or, you know, Christmas Eve at mom's house? Well, it's a great question because here's what it means. It just simply means that no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter what conflicts are present in your life right now that you may be facing, I, I know what we all want. I, I know what I want. I know that all we want is for God to fix them and to make the problems go away. And, and I wish that I could say to you that Jesus being born means that all of our conflicts go away. I, I wish that I could say to you that being in relationship with Jesus Christ means that he will eliminate your struggles once and for all and you'll never have to face them again. But I won't do that because we all know better I mean, when Jesus came that very first Christmas, I mean, all of the conflict of the world didn't immediately disappear. I mean, that's not what peace at Christmas is all about for us. Now, hear what I am saying. Jesus is there for us, and he cares about your struggles. He cares about those conflicts that you're up against. No matter how great or how minor you might think they are or somebody else might say, and the Scriptures teach us that He promises to go with us. He promises to walk with us, uh, to be with us through our conflicts. And, and we've all heard stories, and hopefully you've heard stories, about how God intervenes in our circumstances. And He is capable of drastically changing any life or any situation. And He does that, and He still works miracles. I believe in a God who still works miracles today. 
And you should too. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, don't ever stop praying for God to work or to move or to pray for a miracle in your life. He is the God of the miraculous. He is the one who puts things back together even when they seem to be broken beyond repair. But the truth is that sometimes we don't get a miracle. Or sometimes we don't get what we really think that we want or what we need. But, but I can tell you what he offers us. And he offers for you every single time without fail. He offers us hope, a confident hope, a hope that we can be assured of. He offers us hope and he offers us a way through. And more than anything, he offers us the hope that one day, as Revelation 21.4 reminds us, the day when Jesus returns, as the scriptures say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, on that day, when Jesus returns again, you know, the day where we look back at our chaos and conflicts, all those things that we're experiencing in this life right now or still to experience, we know the promise of God is that on that day when Jesus returns, there'll be no more tears and we'll be with Jesus. I mean, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted Him with your life, if you're in relationship with Him, that you will be with Jesus, you know, and that we will be with Him forever. But until then, here's what His gift of peace offers uh, for you and what His peace offers for me and for us in this life. It's in your notes. Um, His peace for you right now uh, and even this week is the opportunity to discover peace between you and others. Uh, That's what his peace, that's what his strength offers to us. You know, Jesus came into this world so that we could personally experience a a peace that Scripture tells us surpasses all understanding, a peace that doesn't always make sense. It is a peace that is so deep and so amazing that it really could come only from another place. And it's a peace that that we experience in the pain and the chaos of life. Uh, it's a peace that we can experience when the conflicts are too much uh, uh, to bear. But, but Scripture shows us and reminds us that the peace of Jesus, the light of the world, didn't come just for us, but that God wants to extend that peace through us. He, wa- he wants to reflect that peace that you're experiencing or you can experience in your own life. He wants to reflect that peace so that others uh, can see it too. That just as we receive the light of Jesus into our lives, as Christians, again, we are called to shine that same light for others to see and experience. And so here's, that what, here's, here's what that means. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're even if you're brand new to church or even if you, don't, you would say that I don't really understand that much of the Bible, here's what you need to know. You're called to be a peacemaker. Uh, You're called to be a peacemaker with your life. You're called to be a peacemaker this week and this Christmas and for the rest of this year and even as you go uh, into this next year. God's gift for you means that not only can you experience the peace of God for your life, but that you can reflect that light and be peace for God uh, for others too. And so uh, maybe it looks like this. Maybe uh, even as you're sitting here today, if you're already worrying about seeing so-and-so this week and, uh, and imagining in your mind playing through that conversation of how you're going to chew them out, uh, if you get the opportunity or respond to them, uh, if they just happen to go there, um, instead, you just start thinking about, you start praying about what it means to be a peacemaker for the Lord and for the sake of others. Um, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. He says, I tell you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's like Jesus is saying that, that the way that you love those who persecute you, the, the way that you love those who tick you off or take advantage of you or even talk or gossip about you behind your back, the, the way you respond to them, the way you love them says a lot about the way you think and you've responded to the love of Jesus for your own life. Let me show you an example of this. Centuries ago, there was a Catholic monk by the name of St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, he was a humble man who was known for his passionate work with the poor and uh, the man after which the current pope has taken his name. Uh, St. Francis believed that being a peacemaker was essential uh, to the Christian life, and so that's why he prayed this prayer uh, for his life. uh, St. Francis prayed this prayer. He prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Uh, Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. He prayed, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Isn't that good? Those powerful words of what it means to be a peacemaker for the Lord, that God might choose to bring peace not only for your life, but so that you can be peace for someone else. I mean, you may not recognize how much the attitude of one person, you know, can make in a family or in a neighborhood, but the truth is that you can be an influencer. You can be that light for someone this week, for your family. You can be that influencer, especially if you're one of the few, or maybe you're the only believer uh, in your family right now. I mean, you have the potential to set the tone uh, for your family or for others this season. It's like the, the story of the realtor who had listed a house in a neighborhood, and he, he showed it to one couple, couple that complained about many of the different details of the home, but ended up putting an offer in it because they were interested. Their, their last question to the realtor went like this. He said, hey, what are the neighbors like? Uh, they asked. And the realtor thought about it for a minute and then asked them back, well, what are the neighbors like where you currently live? And the husband said, well, they're rude or they're definitely not very friendly. They close their garage door immediately. There's never a, any chance to talk. Uh, they never return anything that we want to borrow. Uh, the wife added, and they gossip about everyone behind each other's back. The realtor said, well, I'm afraid that you'll probably find these neighbors to be just like that. Well, the next day, another couple came along to see the very same house. Uh, And they were thoughtful, and they were very compassionate and considerate as they toured this home together, and they asked great questions, and they listened intently to the realtor. And after seeing the house, they posed the very same question. They asked, hey, what are the neighbors like? And the realtor responded, well, tell me again. Tell me right now, what, what are your neighbors like where you currently live? And the husband said, oh, they're great. We do everything together. Uh, We cook out together. We play cornhole in the backyard. We, uh, We have a lot of fun. Yes, said the wife. And the woman started thinking about how, yeah, we take care of each other's kids when needed, and we get together at least once a week to catch up. And so the realtor finally responded to their question, well, I think you'll find these neighbors to be just like that. See, how would it change your home, uh, your family gathering, uh, your office this Christmas if you viewed your role as I'm going to be the peacemaker. I got Christ in me. That's to change everything.
And that totally has to change my perspective and the way that I see things. And so instead of worrying about the conflict, what you do instead is you seek to head it off. You're going to get out in front of it. Or, you know, what if you took something like this prayer of Francis or a similar one and you thought about those aspects of that prayer before every office party or family dinner or, you know, every argument that may come up? I mean, what if instead of fueling the fire with your words or with your reactions, you decided instead to quench the fire with your kind words because of your understanding and the light of Christ in your life? What if you showed a genuine interest this week in some of the mundane, boring, you know, details of someone else's life? I mean, seriously, how might this not only change your life, but the life of someone else and change some of those relationships around you. You see, shalom and receiving the peace of Jesus Christ for your life means bringing peace to others. It's joining God in reestablishing the shalom and the peace of this world. It's delivering gifts to a number of people with names who are homeless and the beauty that comes with it. It's bringing peace to others. But shalom this Christmas doesn't mean just peace between you and others. It's also, number two, peace between you and God. You see, Christmas is an invitation. Uh, It's an invitation to a relationship. And the peace that came that first Christmas didn't mean liberation from the oppressive Roman government. And that's disappointing and very disappointing for some. I mean, and at the same time, it wasn't about curing some relational turmoil or emotional strain. It wasn't even at its heart about curing conflicts between people either. Instead, the peace that took on flesh and the innocent form of a baby, more than anything, was about making peace between you and God. First and foremost, Christmas is all about making peace between you and God. And I know it may sound strange to some of you, you know, especially if you aren't sure that you want this or if you even need this in your life, because we like to think that God loves everybody, and so it's all going to work out in the end for everyone, no matter what you think. But I just have to tell you that that flies in the face of the radical nature of Christmas. I mean, it is true that God loves you, and He loves you in a way that I nor you will ever completely understand, but it's also true that our relationship was broken by sin. The decision to turn our backs on God fractured that relationship with Him. And so that means that even if you're committed to living a good life, even if you're committed to doing everything right, Scripture reminds us, as Paul says in Romans 3, 23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you may not believe that. Again, you may think that you're good enough, but God's standard of good enough is perfection. It's righteousness. And that's why we read in Colossians 1, 21, Uh, Just kind of the reality of this sin when Paul writes, once you were alienated from God, that's what sin does. Sin alienates us from God. It has fractured the relationship. He goes on to say, and we were enemies in our minds because of that evil behavior. Again, God is a loving God. If he wasn't, he would have never sent his son. But sin means that your relationship with God must be repaired. And you can't do that on your own. You know, I wasn't able to do that on your own, my own. There, there, there are no amount of good deeds or doing right things that can repair that relationship between you and me and the Creator. I mean, Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can repair that relationship. That's why He is the gift. He is the light of God for us. And so God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to be our peace and to make a way for you and me to be in relationship with God. And so the question 
that I want to ask you today to answer for yourself, even right here in this moment and before you leave the room is, do you have the peace of God right now in your life? Do you have peace with God right now in your life? Have you, have you experienced the power of salvation and forgiveness uh, for your sins? Here's the hope that we have. Jesus is the way to that peace. He is the way to salvation for us. I mean, we came, and when he gave his life on the cross, he made a way for us to come back into a relationship with God. And if the basis right now of your peace in your life is, well, I'm a pretty good person, and I think I've earned peace with God, the truth is that you have no peace. Because it's like Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He is the one who provides the way for us to be back in relationship with God. And, you know, I, I remember when I was 12 years old, I was at a, a summer camp uh, for a week, and uh, there was a speaker, there was a, a man who was just talking to us about life and talking to us about some of these very same matters. And at the very end of his time sharing with us, uh, he offered an opportunity for those of us that had never made peace with God in our lives before to invite Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. I remember that moment. I remember when I was 12 and spending some time with him and inviting Christ to be my Savior. I remember going back to my church and I was, I, I was baptized and I will forever remember that moment when I found peace with God. And it wasn't something that I did on my own, but something that I responded to that in a moment I became more aware of that I had ever known before that I needed Christ as my Savior, and He came into my life and changed me. And even today, even though I mess up, and even though that I am far from perfect, I know that I have peace with God in my life because I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And what I want to just say to you today is that if you've never done anything like that before, or maybe you sit here today and you're not sure you have, why not let today be the day when you find peace with God in your life? through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can receive that peace today. You can receive forgiveness for your sins. You can discover the promise of eternal life and enter a life of purpose and significance where you join others and this church in bringing peace and hope to this world. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm gonna invite uh, you to pray with me. And again, I just wanna come back to that question I asked a moment ago. Do you have peace with God in your life right now? Have you ever invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, and you're ready to respond to that today, I'm going to just ask you to pray these words with me. You can just pray them where you're seated. Um, I'll, I'll pray something, and you pray after me, and uh, respond to the Lord's work in your life right now as we receive the gift of Jesus. Just pray this prayer. You can pray it silently. You can pray it out loud if you'd like to. Pray, God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. I confess that I have sinned and that I need your grace in my life. I want to receive your peace in Jesus and his payment on the cross for me. Just praying these words. I commit to submit my life to you. Father, fill me with your spirit. Give me the courage to live my life for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, we thank you for those who have just prayed those words right now. 
that have turned to you, that see Jesus as the gift, Lord. And uh, we thank you for the promise that when we pray a prayer like that, that you send your son, that you send your presence to our lives and that you'll forgive us, that you have forgiven people here today, Lord, that you give us new life and new hope and a new perspective. I thank you for the new life and new hope and new perspective in this room right now. And I pray for those that have prayed today and received Christ into their life, Lord, that they will never forget this day and forget this moment and that their lives will never, ever be the same. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, our peace and our hope for others, for this world, and for our lives too. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.